You're listening to the Real Estate Investing Podcast with Dante Belmonte, here to help you start or continue your journey in real estate. Each episode, we bring you a different expert real estate investor who will share the secrets to their success so you can learn and benefit from their experience. Let's jump right into it. All right, everybody, welcome to the first ever Real Estate Investing Podcast. I'm your host, Dante Belmonte, and today we have AJ Osborne with us. AJ, would you like to introduce yourself? I'd love to. First of all, this is the first one ever. Thank you so much for having me on. I feel so honored. Of course. Man. Yeah. <laughs> love what you're but, doing. Uh, thank you. Appreciate that. Yeah. So, uh, AJ Osborne, I'm out of um, Boise, Idaho, not Iowa. We're in the mountains. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> I, uh, um, I invest in self-storage out of the Northwest. So, we focus primarily Oregon, Washington, Nevada, um, Idaho, but we're, you know, we're open for any markets, but that's just where our opportunities and stuff have led to let us. Um, but we have a value add strategy, although we do development, we've, uh, uh bought bankrupt super Kmart's turned them into storage facilities, um, autonomous. Um, so you can, you don't have to work with a storage facility manager. We were the, I think the second in the nation to ever roll out a true, uh, on top of self-storage through the use of Noki. Um, so awesome. we, we also are founding members of Store Local and as well as um, owners of uh, Tenant Inc. So that focuses on technology in the self-storage space. So yeah, so that's kind of what Very I'm cool. doing right now. Yeah. So uh, tell us how many uh, self-storage units do you have and across how many facilities? Yep, so we got... 8,000 plus doors um, across 13 facilities right now. That's awesome. That's great. So um, when you say doors, tell me a little about this. So do you have some actual residential properties on the side? So we do have a couple residential, but it's not like um, mostly we use it uh, to charity, let people live in it or something like that, but nothing. Right. Serious. It's not really your main asset no. class, so to speak. No, okay. Not at all. Awesome. So, so we, what, we have some living quarters on the side of the storage facility, things like that, but it, it's not uh, an investment uh, right. vehicle for us. Okay. But you're still familiar with that asset. Okay. Very cool. So what got you started in real estate investing and particularly this asset class is self-storage facilities? Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I, I come from the insurance world. Um, I was doing sales. Um, I was a consultant that helped people manage uh, their like their health benefits. Um, they'd like self-funded. We'd manage them. You know all that kind of stuff in in, in the insurance world. Very boring, um, but it was it was cool because we were working with uh, employers all over the nation. We were helping them with their second largest line item expense. Um, and we were running something around 800 million in premium, uh, to the carriers. And it, I, I loved it because it was one of those things where it was like, I can, con I, I have control over how much I make. Um, right. it was a sales job, right? So I, if I wanted to make more money, I'd go out and sell more clients. Um, and for a long time I thought, okay, this is, right? This is where it's at. This is what yeah. I'm supposed to do. But over time I realized, you know, I'm actually just on a treadmill. Um, I <laughs> thought I had a lot more control and everything over my life that I really did because if I lost the client, I'd have to go sell more. And right. so I was starting to, I was making good money, but 
that just meant I was running faster and there was no way to get off it. I no, it was the rat race, race essentially. It was. And um, I guess, you know, it's hard to complain because I was paid well, but at the same time, it could end in a moment. And, uh, um, yeah. and we were fired all the time and everything else. And I, it's so when I look at that, it was like we were trying to figure out a way to create more control over our lives. We, I did some mergers and acquisitions. I would buy some other firms and things like that. So I was used to working with businesses and I was very used to, um, very entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial. And I really understood the, uh, like expense, uh, uh, or, or the risk factor dealing with insurance. And, and I got to see all these businesses and work with them and the owners and, and understand better how they brought value. And I really, really liked that, but there was no way for me to take my model and to compound it. And I really started looking at things and saying, listen, I, I need to be able to take in revenue, right? Mm -hmm. And I need to be able to have that come in profitably. And then I need to be able to redeploy that revenue at a secure known rate of return to get efficient yeah. efficiencies and to really compound that out. And when I started looking at vehicles to do that, real estate is obviously the, you know, it's, it's the one you go to because it's just, you, you know, you buy it, you get the revenues, you know what it's going to be and you can repeat it. Right. Exactly. So you yep. get the compounding effect. But I had some major problems with real estate. Um, and one of my major problems with real estate is I was like, this is slow, man. Yeah. And I'm just yeah. <laughs> the return. Slow, on it. I'm just, you know, I'm like, I don't like that very much. Um, uh, and You're more but, used to seeing immediate, you know, reward yeah, for your work. I, exactly. I wanted to put the work in. I wanted to see something yep. come out of that. But then we found storage, which, you know, I developed a thesis that storage is not real estate. Um, storage is a business disguised as real estate. I got to get you off the podcast thing because it's a real estate podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, so really with this thesis, though, I was looking at this going, this makes a lot of opportunity because there's all these real estate guys that own this and they don't even know what they have. Um, so our, um, we designed an entire strategy around going and buying bad performing businesses, self-storage facilities, we would come in and we would change the operations, the revenue models. We would develop a value proposition, drop other. So it's products. more of a value add more yeah. than a ground up buildup of a, yep, of a value add. I was okay. buying underperforming uh, uh, businesses and they may have been fine for the person that had it, but, but not, you know, not the, for you. <laughs> exactly. And so right. we would buy those things up and we would turn them around and the upside was huge. Um, and yeah. it, it was an upside that you, you, I couldn't get that in other real estate asset classes because there was no operations to optimize, right? Right. Because any any real estate people. or any business, you bring up the property management, you you manage it better, you alt, alt, ultimately add value to the property that way. You don't have to do any work to the property, just the your style of management, you know? And exactly. so it sounds like you've been doing that, but it sounds like you probably do some work to the properties too to bring them up to a little nicer standard. Yeah. Um, higher yeah, rates. We had some like that, that we needed a lot of work. Others we didn't need as much work. And we really just focused purely on operational efficiencies. Cause you know, we had something like, you know, you get all these units, let's say it's 800 units and it's divided by six sizes. You have six different products for six different people, uh, mm -hmm. types of customers. And then, with every single unit, we can do things like dynamic pricing, which is like airlines do. Whereas everybody in that plane flying to wherever you're going, they're sitting in a seat and they all paid different prices. One right, paid yeah. five bucks, one paid 50, one paid 500. 
So um, true. So and true. we do that in self-storage. Yeah. And so it's not like an apartment complex. Well, all of my, you know, houses, three bedrooms my, or yeah, three bedroom, two bath. This is what the rent is. It's not like that. And so right. we could come in and we could um, play with that revenue. And then we could add in other lines of products and insurance and all yep. sorts of stuff. And the, the upside is, is really big when you start doing stuff like that. Now, when you, when you say, obviously it's not like a, a regular apartment, a three bedroom, two bath, this is the rate, you know, that's the market rate, blah, blah, blah. Is it more of supply and demand of how much, yep. how many units you have open on well, that particular property? Okay. So this is an excellent question and it comes into two sides. So mm -hmm. supply and demand. Yes. But how I look at it is first of all, there's three different types of customers, customers that care about price, customers that care about location and customers that care about quality. So generally speaking, there's, I'm taking uh, notes as you do this. Cause I'm taking away yep. something from all these episodes. And you know, I, when you look at it like this and you can see facilities that divide up and we look for facilities that are attracting people on price. Um, yep. And then we go and we change the business model and we um, go after uh, 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 people that are looking for quality. And that change in the business model comes with a lot of um, uh, improvements in efficiencies and most importantly, marketing. So we need to target exactly who we're looking for. So we're generally looking for um, homeowners, lots of times there's two people working in a household, they have kids, um, and they're upper middle class. We know that they, so your, your revenue per unit is dictated by what I call long-term value of the tenant. Now this right. is forces that drive this are twofold. You have the first force is length of stay. Okay. But then you also have things like if I get it, that one, if I get a tenant in and they buy insurance and they use boxes, maybe they want wine storage, all this other stuff, I can increase the revenue per month. Those two things together um, is uh, the long-term value of the tenant. So I would buy facilities that the long-term value of the tenant was, let's say 1500 bucks and they stayed three months and they didn't really have any products, anything like that, because when you buy off price, they're transitional. So they're, they don't stay as long. They switch right. out. Um, and then Versus location you, quality, but go exactly. ahead. And so then I take that, I kick all those people out as quickly as possible. And then I go and I find all the tenants that I know are uh, not price sensitive that are willing to pay for a good product, a safe product. Right they're staying on average double the amount of time. And so that $1,500 a month tenant um, is now 3000. And um, then that's essentially what we do. So we focus on the customer and then we manage the revenue. So every person is getting a different price, different rate. They're getting price increases per, right. in, uh, per individual. So all units are always changing constantly. And then we, so if we cover this, first of all, if we know our tenant, we, we're, we're only trying to get those people. Now right, the right. supply and demand and how it affects the unit pricing is dependent on the market, obviously. Mm -hmm. But if we, we I, I try to create my own demand. And by doing so, I look for markets and I go after areas where other people there, you're getting crowds that um, only see you. And we can do this through the internet. So when uh, you know a person is looking and they're searching certain things, right? And you appear and your competitors don't, you're the only one that exists. So yeah. I can- So on the first page of Google, it doesn't exist, you know? 
Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And so we use these kind of practices. So our, the, the economics of our facility may be much better than a facility down the road, um, purely because the customers don't even know it exists. And uh, um, that's how we try to drive as much demand as we can. Um, but once again, uh, you have overbuilt markets that are overbuilt. It just doesn't matter. I can't fight, um, you know, macroeconomic trends, things like that. If a market's right. overbuilt, it's going to hurt me um, because there's just so many units on the market. Yeah, and you, you, there's only so many people that can rent out those units. It's exactly. you have a, you know, your your supply versus demand is out of wax there. Um, so my question to you, your first deal that you ever did in self-storage when you first got started, tell us a little bit of how that looks, how um, you can either do a brief overview or you can get a little bit more um, detailed in certain aspects of where the funding came from, where you found the property, partners, things like that. So go ahead, I'll let you run through with that. So Realtor is how we found it. It was in a place called Bonners Ferry, Idaho. There's more grizzly bears there <laughs> than there are people. And that's true. And um, so in this little city up uh, uh, in Idaho, we... We bought a small facility, um, 10,000 square feet, I think it was, $600,000. We put 120000 into it um, that came from uh, me and my partner, came from our insurance stuff. And uh, um, we weren't really hands-on managing. It was just a more way of diversifying funds, right? And um, when we sold that, we actually sold it for less than we bought it. And uh, we sold it for less than we bought it because we moved into a better asset, which we took those funds and we moved it into one that was more like 40,000 square feet that we bought for um, 1.5, I think it was. And we could affect it more. It was in a growing market. We could um, hands-on manage better. We'd learned our mistakes. And then uh, eight months later, we sold that for 2.5 million. And then we went and bought a storage facility for four million. Um, Were you doing ten thirty one exchanges or anything of that exchanged. nature? Yep, we ten thirty one wow. exchange. Did you do it twice or three times? Did you do it uh, twice. Yep. Then we twice. rolled it into the next one, which was wow. a four million dollar facility, which we bought, um, which we've expanded everything else like that. And so that's roughly a nine million dollar one today. So the hundred and fifty thousand or whatnot. It's went a long probably, way down the road. Yeah, yeah, about four million now. So, with that first deal where you said you sold it for less than you bought it for, after you guys put in one hundred fifty thousand, what was the reason? Do you guys think you bought it wrong? The market was sitting at a, a certain. The market was sitting differently when you sold it. Or what was the story there? Um, so, or just a lack of experience because of the first one. Yeah, and uh, you know, and two, I think. We, there was, we weren't good at managing it. We weren't good at operating it. So of course you're getting started. Yeah, exactly. We're getting started. We didn't, we're figuring things out and I, I don't, so it's hard to say if the market was good or bad or if there was upside or not. Cause honestly, I don't think I knew. Um, and when <laughs> we sold it was princely because there, we were figuring things out. And I did know though, in that market where it was and everything, there wasn't a whole lot I could do with it. So I needed to move it into a, asset where we could test some more of our theories and ideas. Um, and that worked very well. And then okay. that was kind of on our way to prove a uh, model, so to speak, that we could uh, use going forward. All right. So with these, uh, so the first deal you did versus the second and third, what was the timeline there? Like how was it a two year stretch, a three year or less? Yeah, it was like three years. So three years. All right. So about a year More. each at each facility. 
Yeah, we so we took on um, our first deals were in early 2000. And then we stopped around 2004 because numbers stopped making sense. And then we picked up in 2010. And so there was a time where we didn't buy, but that was just because we couldn't get numbers to work. Um, right. Then they started working very, very well in 2010. So we started buying lots. And um, then from there, we were buying, there was no time in between. It was six months, every six right. months. Just go, go, go kind yes. of thing. Uh-huh. Now, how did these deals look as far as financing go? I'm assuming you had commercial mortgages, commercial loans on these for that 20 All or over 25? the board. We, had, uh, we did okay. owner financing. We oh, wow, okay. EMBS loans, non-recourse on the bond, uh, they're uh, loans that are collateralized on the bond market, um, non-recourse. We did um, credit unions. Um, and so that we did, we, we financing was, I, I think it was traditional how anybody else would finance it, right? But um, we did do owner financing uh, and um, it, it was hard back then. Um, financing was tough. Right. Um, and, well, and what year was that? Yeah. What you're referring to when you said financing was tough uh, towards the 2000, 2008, 2011. So okay. So right 2011. after 11 and it didn't, yeah, it, I mean, no one wanted to let out commercial loans no, at that time. Nobody wanted to. In fact, we were the, they told us we were the first CMBS loan that they had done in the entire Northwest, um, since the recession. Um, wow. so it was, yeah, they were like, it, they were, it was still, the market was still really tough. I mean, some of our facilities we were buying from the bank. Oh, okay. Yeah. So with that seller financing, um, real quick, just tell the listeners what seller financing is because some people aren't actually aren't yeah. aware of that. Yeah. Um, and then tell us how that was structured. Um, did you do a percentage down? Was there a balloon payment due? Things like that. Go ahead. Yeah. So, um, you know, seller, uh, seller financing is obviously, awesome. Everybody wants it. And there's a few reasons why it's awesome. Um, The first reason is it doesn't, so like if a bank's looking at it, the bank doesn't count it towards your debt to income ratio uh, like they do normal mortgages because they don't care about that person. And so, um, and they know that most of the time there's not much they can do. So for our seller financing, um, we had, it was a 25 year uh, it was a 25 year, 10 year am. And, uh, we basically negotiated with her. She still wanted income. So we came into the property. She was going to sell the property. Um, but during the time there was no buyers and banks were hard. So we came in and we offered her an 11 cap, which she took and then wow. seller financed that. And uh, she did it at, I think 5% and five percent um, down uh no five percent interest rate and we put oh, okay we put ten percent down and uh, um and it and there's no we didn't personally guarantee the property it was backed so that's a look, pretty looking sweet back deal, on honestly. it yeah looking back on it there's you know that was kind of a home run but uh don't see that anymore uh um, right you don't especially at a five percent on a seller financing Mm-hmm. And you said it was a, a 25 year am, amortized versus a 10 year balloon. Was it or 15 year? I'm sorry. Yeah, 10 year, 10 year balloon, 25 okay. year am. And um, that, you know, we, we like that. Actually we prefer right now, 15 year. Um, uh, and 
it, it, it worked great. She just wanted to move. She wanted to get down to Arizona somewhere warm. She wanted some income. Um, and she sold us. She got, got her income left. And it was, I mean, it, it works really well. And it can work really well for all parties involved. And there's a How lot many of units opportunity. Was that? Oh, 600. 600. And the, how old was this lady? Like, how did she acquire something like that? So she bought it from, I think they sold their plumbing business and bought it from a gentleman that had owned it before. And uh, then um, she had just gotten to the point. It wasn't even that I think she was terribly old, anything else like that. She was in her 50s, but I think her husband wanted to leave and they wanted to go somewhere warm. And so they just wanted to leave the Northwest. And um, it, you know, it, it worked out really, really well. Interesting. Okay. So let's get into more of how you find these properties. So how, like we can either use her as an example or one of your other properties or overall, tell us how you identify properties, how you locate them. Do you drive for dollars? Do you, I mean, I know that's probably the most popular with self-storage because they're typically not posted for sale that often. I'd imagine you really have to go out and dig a little bit. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. Um, I, we've never bought a property on market. Um, most of our deals come from our network, um, and from knocking on doors, um, right. or relationships with other storage owners, um, networking, um, knowing people that are finding deals, um, and being active in the space. That's where most of our deals come from. And then our connections through brokers to bring us off market deals that know that we're going to pull the trigger. Right. You've got the experience. They're not bringing it to someone who's never done a deal before because they would never bring something like that. Someone's never yeah. done a deal before. Yeah. You, you've built that rapport. We built it. And we, you know, it's, I know exactly how, sto the, so, perfect example. So I was up, we, we take our managers on a training meeting up in a mountain city up here, uh, kind of a little resort city, uh, north of Boise called McCall. And there's a nice uh, place. We go down there, take them for three days, do training, talk about the company, where we're going, you know, that all that little getaway, all that stuff. And um, we were sitting there that evening and I got a call from one of my um, connections. And um, he said, AJ, I've got a deal that you like. And he, I said, he said, okay, tell me about the deal. He outlined the deal, 60,000 square feet. Here's the location, the road um, hands off owner does, has nothing to do with it. Um, it's not involved at all, you know, large delinquencies, you know, he, he walked me through in four minutes, you know, the basic outline, everything like that. Right. And I told him right there, it. I said, okay, I'm buying it. So I said, whenever you get them under contract and send it <clears> over to me. And, <throat> um, we, we did put it under contract and we closed on it two weeks ago. So what, investors and people or people that don't really understand real estate investing, what they don't get is so many deals happen off market. People oh, the vast majority the of MLS, right. Commercial deals, multifamily deals. People are always like, I can't find a good deal. I look on the MLS every day. I'm on Zillow.com. And that obviously it's more of the multifamily realm, but just in general, people yeah, are like, in general. Mm -hmm. and I just think that's so funny because I was one of those people too, way back when I was like, yeah, I'm not seeing any deals or anything. And then I started to get active and, once you start investing, deals just fall in your lap. Like you were saying with networking and people just bring them to you. I, every week I get at least 10 to 15 deals that fall in my lap that 
people are just like, oh, what do you think? What do you think? And of course, most of the time people are asking a little too much and you just got to mm-hmm. kick them down yeah. the road. But a lot of times they come back to you. Yeah. Um, I, That's I part know of people, the game. I mean, we see lots right. of deals. We, we do. I mean, it, it, this, this was the only deal we did this year and we saw tons. Um, but two, it should also be known. It was the only deal that my connection brought me this whole right. year. And so because it, it he knows exactly year. what I want. It was a tough year and tight market and um, everything else. But, um, and two, you know, we needed it. And one of the reasons I think it's a tough year this year and last year is the the name of the game is changing, right? And the markets change all the time. Things change. And so how we go about uh, um, getting deals is changing. And we've spent the last, um, the whole entire last quarter, I've been setting up infrastructure for us to create more consistent deal flow. And next year we have, you know, very large um, uh, goals so that we're going to come out and I want to put on a a lot, a lot of properties. And so this year we spent, the last half of the year was spent getting infrastructure in place to have a a funnel to get deals. We have a back end funnel, which we are going to connect and have other people that are really good at data, bring them to us. And then we have our front end funnel, which will, um, which will tie in to a call center. And then, then the final um, deals will come to us um, to negotiate and put under contract. Um, and the name of the game is just changing. And I, I talked about this in a, my podcast a little while ago about the difference. Um, it's, it's a story I heard about um think about if you were up in alaska right and say it's 500 years ago you got the fisherman who's got his spear and he's walking around along the banks and he's looking in that water and he's waiting for a salmon he knows what he's doing he's waiting for a salmon to swim by he's got a spear and he hopes that a salmon swims by he hopes that he throws a spear he hopes that he gets it and then you look over and there's a big old bear and he's sitting in the middle of the river and salmon are jumping into his mouth Right yep, with his mouth. Yep. I heard you talking right about with this mouth your podcast. Yep. Right. So I'm like, I want to be the bear. I want, yep. you know, and it, it's about uh, putting yourself in a situation where deals come to you. Right. Poor and food. exactly. And you, you got to do it. You got to put in the work. You got to put in the time. You got to make connections. And it takes you a while to build infrastructure like that too. So don't expect it quick. Don't expect, nobody has anything. Nobody owes you anything. Right. right. Nobody Nobody needs to give you a deal. Nobody, you know, it, it, that's just not how it works. And if you expect that, you, of course, you're never going to see a deal. Markets don't just deliver it like that. That's you know, oh, it was that Everyone will be doing it if it was easy, <laughs> and, it, and they're not. So let's, let's get into a little bit more of the number aspect. So obviously, I'm, I'm really good at analyzing multifamily deals. I know where the numbers sit, where they should sit, or what do you want to buy at. Talk to me a little about the cap rate and the cash on cash uh, return that you'd like to go for when you purchase a property or what you'd like to purchase it at and then push it up to after you do some value add to it. Yeah. So, you know, I'm looking for a 20% cash on cash return. Um, Now uh, let me explain this. And I think it's important to know, because once again, when he's like, Oh, I don't ever see, nobody ever sees deals like that. I just hate you make that deals phrase. like that. So exactly, because you make deals. All right. And our system that we have, we buy underperforming properties. And I don't, I'm not expecting to do a value add and in the future get a 20% cash on cash return. What I do is I look at the market as it is today. I find mm-hmm. the difference in the two. And then I take it to the top of the market, the known market. 
not something I'm just magically think I can creating. Right. Exactly. So it's what's known today. And the difference between that is my 20%. Awesome. Okay. It's hard because self storage facilities right now are trading like apartment buildings, which makes no sense at all because they're way more risky um, because they don't have long-term leases. And um, it's typically month to month, right? Yeah, it's month to month. To give you any idea, we have a city right here. It was actually in the Wall Street Journal. Um, But, you know, markets are getting overbuilt. They have owners that last year, this time, were 100% occupied. They are today at 50% occupied. You don't have that in apartments. That just doesn't happen, right? And uh, so um, the idea that if, and, you know, like I tell people, I'm in love with self-storage. If I had to buy a five cap, I know. Look at your wall. Turn around. Look at cars back there. You're over here. (laughs) (laughs) Got all my properties. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, but uh, if I have to pay a five cap, all things being equal, I'll buy an apartment building. I won't. I'm not going to buy the storage facility. Right. You're not going to get yourself into a bad deal. It doesn't make sense. It's a bad investment. Makes sense. And if it's going to be risky and raised within, I need to go with something more secure. Right. So, so because when, I factor risk into it and you have to, you have to, when, when you're evaluating a property, you're running the numbers, what is, cause typically the vacancy rate is five to 10% roughly when you're seeing a multifamily apartment space, what are you seeing or what do you use to calculate for vacancy? Um, 10, 15% right now. Um, 10, okay. Uh, 10, <laughs> is what you're seeing, but most markets that's dropping down to 15%. Um, and that's what I'm noticing. The more I read about it, things like that, I'm seeing uh, a higher vacancy rate, a lower occupancy yes. rate. Um, and that just seems like it's because of market saturation. There's so yep. many facilities going up. Um, it's funny now, now when I drive to, you know, I drive to the office or I go anywhere and you can ask my, you know, my fiance, I'm just like, Oh, there's self storage. There's self storage. You know, I'm always pointing them yep. out. I'm like, that one looks like it could use some work, you know, it, you just kind of see these things yes, and that's where, right. You, and that's the, the worst part about, or not the worst, but it can be the best investing or getting involved in real estate. Like I, I'm an agent, an investor, or even self storage. You can't go anywhere without looking at a property and just yeah. saying something about it. Every yeah. single property house, you see yeah. a, uh, an apartment building, you see a multifamily, you look for the meters on the side of the building. You're like, Oh, oh it's yeah. three. It's a three family. It's a nice looking unit. You know what I mean? go out to dinner and you're like, I wonder what they're paying per square foot here. Right. You know? yeah, yeah. It's just, no matter where you go, you just see it as a yes. business. It's a blessing and a curse. But it, That's right. But so, once you, once you see how the world works like that, you just can't turn it off. Correct. You can't unsee that. Um, talk to me a little bit about your cap rate. So what do you like to buy mm-hmm. at? And then once you're done adding value to the property, how many points are you pushing that cap rate up to? Um, and again, for listeners who don't really know what a cap rate is, uh, Give a little brief overview of that as well before you start. All right. So um, I, 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 I do. Uh, so I, I speak at the national conventions on self-storage a lot. And um, I sp- uh, one, the last one that I, was, uh, I spoke at had a, a few people didn't like it very much because I, I, I spoke and I said cap rates don't matter. In fact, that was the, the title of my speech. Um, whoa, whoa, whoa. I know cap rates don't matter. <laughs> and, um, and that was exactly what the, and, uh, um, that's in what, and when people ask what I'm buying a cap rate at, what I want to get out of it, I need to preference this because I, I actually don't know. I don't even have an answer to that. And let me explain. So a cap, what is a cap rate? 
Um, so a cap rate is how you would, let's say, value a property, which is the, um, basically you take the total gross revenue, the net, um, and then you take your expenses, right? And a cap rate is based off of the net, which in Your general NOI. is kind of a NOI, but in general, it's a percentage return. It's a way to value the property off its revenues as opposed to off, uh, or it's a way to, uh, um, to do it off the net as opposed to like per square foot. Right. right. Now in, in, the, in the real estate valuation world, okay, we're going to, we're going to get deep into this because oh, he's getting into this it. Is, like, yeah, I'm like, all right, up. here we go. Yeah. <laughs> because I, I'm really into this stuff. Uh, it, you know, coming from my um, M&A background and, um, you know, valuation is, is a big thing. And I didn't come from the real estate world. So we, we make our money by uh, uh, this concept where cap rates don't matter. So I will buy a 11 cap. I will buy a five cap. I will buy a zero cap. Um, the reason being is all, <laughs> the reason being is when I, when I look at a property, the only thing that I'm looking at is I am looking at, um, the capital allocation. So I'm looking at the revenues within the business and how the business is ran, how much the long-term value of their customer is worth. Um, I'm looking at their expense ratio, the marketing, the size of the market. I'm looking at, um, I'm looking at all sorts of products in the facility, what we think they can get. Get So if I came onto a facility and I'm looking at this and we say, all right, this facility is, um, they're selling it for five, 5 million, right? It makes a hundred thousand net and 300,000 gross. Um, and that's a really low cap rate. But then also with that said, you know, I'm looking at the product offering and the long-term value of their current tenants are somewhere around a thousand dollars. And uh, when I look at that and the customer's long-term, uh, the long-term value, and I can see, okay, well, the long-term value of the customers are actually around $2,000. Well, I immediately from there, I'm looking at how much we can force that revenue up. I'm looking at what other lines of revenue are included within this business and how we can actively manage this thing to increase the revenues of the business. Now, obviously right. it all happens through management. It does. Yeah. It all happens through our operations and our revenue management. Um, so with that said, I would actually pay a lower cap rate for uh, a, a worse facility. That makes more sense to me. Um, yeah. because I, it has more upside potential. The idea that I'm paying a five cap for an extremely well-run facility to me means I have one way to go down. I don't yeah. like that. So, no, um, it's a little contrary in thinking like most people are like, well, like, you know, if I got a six cap and I, you know, just, so I, I just don't look at it like that. But with that said, if we are talking cap rates and people are like, well, what's a good, what's a bad, um, self storage and first year markets right now are trading at four caps. Um, that's crazy. Yeah. And, um, the market is razor thin and new inventory is coming on the market. So I, I would put in a point or 5% occupancy worth of risk of vacancy that I would have to add in to any major market that I was looking at investing in because, um, inventory is going up and so are vacancies and occupancies going down. 
Um, and I have to, I would have to embed that in. So in general, I think most investors are starting to look that way. And I think cap rates are starting to come off a little. Now, with that said, I don't think cap rates will ever go back to what they were. You have to remember, I mean, before 2008, I would never buy a storage facility at anything underneath a nine cap. Yeah. I mean, that would just be crazy. And now they're at four caps and they'll never go back up. Um, and there's a few reasons for that. And it's important to understand the reasons why two things happen. Do you, during, well, real quick before you get yeah. into that, do you think it's because of your market or that's what it is for your market or All nationwide? Markets. Nation markets. Okay. It's how the asset class, and this is why it's important to understand what's happened to self storage. Self storage has gone through such massive changes. I mean, you don't even hardly recognize the industry anymore. I mean, when we were first in it, you go to the national conferences and there's nobody there. I mean, right, you'd be yeah. sitting in there and there'd be 20 people in a meeting, right? And most of them had overalls on. And now you go there and it's 4,000 people and you think you're at a rock concert. And yeah. it's like, you know, flashing lights and everything. And you're looking around like, what the crap? This is like some boring, you know, it's like yeah, self-storage yeah. people. Um, but there's a euphoria around it that is, is, is nuts. And the reason why is twofold. So after the Great Recession, it was the first time that self-storage had ever been tested in a long-term debt cycle. So it had gone through small recessions and small short-term debt cycles, but it had never gone through a long-term debt cycle. It had never gone through a financial crisis or anything like that. So institutional players, they, didn't, they couldn't underwrite it very well because they couldn't test it, right? I, I can't stress test this thing because it had never happened. Yeah. After it went through, then they could stress test it. But right, that but didn't matter anyway. Right it's fresh data. data. Now we know. Now we know how it'll do. So the risk goes down. But then there was another part where operationally speaking, self-storage can be more hands-on. And they didn't want to do that, right? Well, Entray, Extra Space, and some others with third-party third management. So now you can outsource the management to people that can do a really good job. It's not like apartment buildings outsourcing, right? You need somebody that can run a really good business and use technology and leverage it. And Extra yeah. Space came out really strong. And they really optimized to those kind of things. So then Wall Street and all the fund managers and everybody, they could go buy a location, hand it to extra space, right? And they could make their 12% return over five years and um, be happy. That didn't exist before 2008, really. I mean, it was kind of a wrap, but nothing like it is now. Um, mm. So institutional money just really didn't play a lot in the space outside the you know, three REITs at the time before that. And it was only in first tier markets. Um, that's all changed now. So it's, um, and it's changing fast. Self storage is, is really, really changing fast. We, we act and follow hotels very closely, like 30 years behind. And so now the players that are coming in and, you know, one of the reasons we came in a long time ago is we frankly looked around and said, wow, we can, we can do a lot here. <laughs> There's, yeah. This yeah. is ripe, right? And it wasn't like, you know, you walked into apartments in 2004 and said, wow, these guys don't know what they're doing. No, that is not true. You know, these 80% of, or 85% of the apartment complex market is institutional owned. And yeah. in self storage, it's opposite. 75% right. yeah, exactly. of it is mom and pop. So yeah, I have a market to go into and mm -hmm. that's consolidating fast. And we knew it would be, but we knew that those that were active and really ready to roll up their sleeves 
the next, you know, when um, 2000 and early 2000s, but now we look at that and we're sitting here going, you know, the next 10, 15 years, you know, there's massive money to be made for those that are a part of the consolidation. Do you see that percentage where you said 75% of the market share self-storage is mom and pop versus 25% is institutional? Where do you see those numbers going? Do you see institutional? Straight storage? down. We'll be, we'll try, yeah, we'll, in, in 15, 20 years, um, self-storage will, will be 80% institutional. Well, it's headed it's that just way like, fast. Right. It's just like apartment or, you know, yep. real estate is Wall Street's, the light bulbs turn on for them and they're saying, oh, this is a really good asset class to invest in. This is, yep. it, it just makes sense. And that's why everyone talks about it. But I think the barrier of entry for the mom and pot is much more difficult for self-storage because it's such a larger asset rather than buying two, three, four families that yes. cost, you know, anywhere from a hundred to 400,000. You're right. Versus self-storage facility that can be anywhere from, you know, 1.5 million to 10 million. It just depends on the, you know, the square footage, yeah. the acreage, the, the unit size. And that's, that's what I think is very interesting that uh, the big institutes always come in to ruin our fun. And it's yeah. you, you just wonder what the next thing is in, in 20, 30 yeah. years. Well, and you there's know, other go, competitions. You got like clutter and things like that coming in where they're the yeah. anti-self-storage. They're mm -hmm. trying to kill the self-storage market. So you have new technologies that are leveraging um, uh, app-based business models and uh, they're coming in and they're trying to eat self-storage lunch. And that's real. And that needs to be looked at. And that's a real risk factor that will take a percentage of the market. I don't know what yeah. it is. Um, I think it will probably end up being around 10, 15%, but um, it's, they're coming in. They're very, very well funded and very, very well. Backed. Right. Like let, let's look at some different markets real quick. We, we've got taxis, you have Uber and Lyft that came in to, you mm -hmm. know, stir the pot. You look at renting. Yes. It's more short, short term, but Airbnb, Airbnb. that's a great example. 100%. Yep. Yeah, exactly. and that's what's happening so, in storage right now. Yep, and it's going to happen in any market. It's just yep. the, the way it is how today. It works. But we'll always work our way around it. Exactly. Um, for other self-storage investors, people who are managing self-storage, working in self-storage, what are some programs that you use? Do you use more web-based programs for everything? Or it, talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, so um, like you mean to run the storage facility? I. Uh, signing leases, running facilities, you know, just anything in general that yeah, you're using yeah. that's program-wise, program-based. Absolutely. Based. So we use our property management system that we're using currently is a self-storage manager, SSM, we call it. We also, and um, it, I mean, it's fine, uh, which, which is funny. I say it's fine. I own um, a software company that is rolling out our product this spring, so I'll be leaving it, um, which is uh, called Tenant Inc. Uh, the software is called Butterfly. Um, but the reason is it's an open source base, open APIs that can connect and um, that will allow us to embed with other business models that will make us more competitive. And uh, it's, it, it's needed. It, the self-storage is really behind in technology. So we did a $7 million raise and um, been launching that. It's gone really, really good. The developers are just next level. Awesome. So, so that self-storage manager you use, does that allow you to collect rent, put out leases? Yep, like exactly. That allows you to do everything? So, does all that kind of stuff. We still do, lots of people do paper leasing, but we also use a company called Noki, which we implement. And so our customers can rent on their phone and then they can access the doors, units, everything from their phone and never have to talk to a manager. It, it's so, called what? Noki, N-O-K-E. 
Oh, so it's literally no key. Okay. Yep. I get it. No key because it's mm -hmm. keyless. It makes sense. <laughs> Very good. And uh, so, yeah, so we, we um, use that in our facilities. Um, and that helps, that helps obviously acquire tenants that the other ones don't even get. Yeah, that's good. Because we're um, the only ones that allow it. So, yeah, that is nice. So tell us a, uh, a mix of the units you have the make, do you have dry climate control, RV, yeah. open so concept, when we look at a few so of the different the ones. Facilities, we have everything all over the board. We have the bankruptcy for Kmart that we turned into a storage facility. It's all indoor. The other ones we have, we have a mixture, 30% indoor climate controlled. We have the large pull-up drive-ups. We have um, the ability to do everything from wine storage to drug storage, document storage. Um, Who knew wine storage was such a big thing? I've been reading about it so much lately. Weirdest yeah. thing, but anyways. Yeah, it's a big thing right now. And um, then you have drive up and outdoor parking, which you don't like as much because you can't charge as much for it. You're, and it's a, it's a large square footage space when we're talking RVs, things like yes. that. Do you do any of the vehicle boat RV storage or a very minimal amount? Very minimal. We try not to do as much because it's just the price per square foot that you can get. It, it's 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 not as well it's not a good use of the land right if i throw right. a, if i throw a unit on it i can get five times the price per square foot right and, i see the boats where they do the five boats stacked up little things like yes, that. Yes, the most I, out of square foot there's some markets to kill it i have a friend and if you're interest uh, interested in doing that you got to look up scott ramser um out of california and he does that and he kills it he i mean he's yeah. got that stuff down and that's a whole it's a great usage of square footage you great know square usage, footage yes space. yeah now, great usage when you do RV or vehicle storage, do you, I know there's a few different styles you can do, you know, just open space or you just do multi-story uh, multi or roof off or the, the three-sided paneling. Yep. Like what's the style you usually tackle I, with that? I, so we like, first of all, all metal enclosed. Um, and we prefer a mixture of uh, uh, drive up and indoor where they'll pull up unload. Now in the Kmart, if we actually blew out the walls and they can drive through the facility, pull up to their unit aisle and just- Wow. So it's all stuff. indoor it's facility all, you yep. can drive through? Yep. There's drive that's aisles great. in the middle. That's awesome. That's yeah. That's unique. I haven't seen that yet. I haven't yeah, seen, I not seen that. It is. We were some of the uh, first people in the nation to, uh, uh, to do that. And it works very, very well with our no key system because people can just drive in, drive out. And um, it's, it's a huge facility. It's a huge building. Now, do you have any ground up development projects and works? Have you done any? Yes, what, um, we've done those and I have, I have some going on. I, I would like maybe 10% of my portfolio to um, always be, or 10%, excuse me, on my pipeline to always be development. So okay. if I'm looking at 10 facilities, I want one development. I, I'd like to have one development project always going on um even though it's a good I healthy mix it, exactly i don't want it to make up the majority because i don't want markets to turn and get caught but at right the same i mean time, if you do it the other way you flip it to 90 percent development and one in 10 percent value add you're just you're almost hurting yourself i want to say because you're going yeah. in all these markets building more and more it's it's going to get out of control exactly exactly and i'm sure it's much more of a headache to you know um get the yeah 
zoning zoning for it when you have yes. to go and it takes oh, a while and it's a lot ends, yeah it's long it's long yeah um and so it's good and, and you're not very patient when it comes to returns so no i'm not very <laughs> patient at all so <laughs> no i hear you on that um so let's uh, in multifamily, there's a lot of people do cash out refinances to recuperate some funds, things like that. Is that anything you've done within your self-storage units or something you want to get into? Or tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. So how we view um, our- Like after you do a value Yeah, add. yeah, yeah. So we, we come in in our debt to equity and how we measure those kind of things. So the Kmart, we just refunded, pulled all our money out, plus another million and added solar. Um Wow. That There's solar on that place too. Yeah. Yeah. It's cool. Um, and you know, for that one we did, we got our, our money back. Some of the other ones I prefer actually, instead of just pulling my money out, I like to have an open line, use okay. it if I need it. Like then, if you lock on the property. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. Yeah. We usually get just credit line, uh, lines of credit. that are just open-ended. Um, some of them will be backed by the asset and others won't. We have a really yep. low debt, equity ratio like 45 percent 40 percent actually Good. and um we we like the high cash flows because for me the equity's not going anywhere so i right. put it in my bank account and yeah. then pay the higher interest now do you keep that line of credit on there so when you do find another property you can go into it with a cash offer or something like that yep. that's exactly what yeah. we do the, the one and we it puts you at the top of the list your, your exactly. cash offer on it yep the one we now, just bought uh, we did an all cash offer closed quick Bought it, turned it around, refied, then paid the other one off. And so, yeah, it works really well. I like that model a lot. So, again, I, I really like to compare with multifamily just because that's yeah. the asset class I'm familiar with. Uh, tell us about, like, the inspection period of the due diligence. Do you – how long is that period typically? Because sometimes when people buy apartment buildings or multifamilies, they have that inspection period or that home inspection. What do you do on the inspection side for self-storage facilities? So on the inspection side, what we do is, this depends if we're working with a broker or not, obviously. Mm -hmm. um, we expect the broker to earn his keep. And the ones we work with are very good. They provide us with all the studies and everything else done. We usually want, you know, two months. Um, we audit everything internally. So we go walk the facility. We look units, check locks, reports. Um, and we... Um, so we, it, within two weeks of self-storage facility, we can usually verify everything as long as the information's been provided by the owner upfront. Um, yeah. if it's a situation that's, um, could be harder, we, we want 90 days. Um, because, you know, we, we had a situation where with one facility that, um, the facility had been built on top of an inf of an infill of a logging mill. And so it was, really? it was built on top of 50 feet of sawdust. Wow. And, um, How did they get approval for that? Yeah, it was, it was an older one. And uh, it, um, we actually walked away, but we wanted 90 days. And we wanted studies done and we wanted to drill things that they just weren't willing to do. And there was even places in the facility that, that the ground was sinking. Like, so the water would oh, go sure. down and drain. Yeah, and it wouldn't go out anywhere. It right. just went underneath, and you're like, uh, "Where's the water going?" Like that's that's it, issues down the road. Oh, jeez. So we were looking at, and you probably had like a quarter of a million or something to fix it, which isn't a problem, right? 
as long as it's known and put in and we understood stand but we, we didn't have enough time and the guy didn't want to really recognize the problem so he we walked away and he sold it to somebody else and didn't disclose wow yeah that's that's Not a gray good. area yep. yeah um any of your units or facilities units, any of your facilities syndicated deals or have they all just been I have with your partner partners so i have um one partner with uh 12 of my deals and then we then me and him have a partnership in the um kmart deal um and uh, but so we've never done syndication anything like that um okay. but this year for the first time i think we will actually allow other people to come in and we will in a syndication on. form or more of a partnership yeah, yeah. Or a joint no. venture more in a syndication like they're going to come in as limited partners and um it would be very important to me and if we're ever doing it you know i i'd, I'd need people i would need the capital partners to stay out of the way like i I, right. I can't have anybody calling and wanting to lower rates or something you know what i mean so no, no it would yeah need to be a syndication format so uh real quick if you could just go over with the listeners uh, a syndication because some people have never heard this word they don't know what it yeah. is or what it involves yeah so a syndication is a way that um, individual investors can have the opportunity to invest side side by side that investor. So let's say that you have $50,000. You're not a real estate developer, but you want to start investing in storage or you want to start investing in apartment buildings. And you've got this guy that's just a great operator. They really know what they're doing. Well, they'll create a fund that you can put your money into and that money alongside his money will go into that apartment building and then you get to reap the rewards from it. Like you get the cash flow, you get the upside, you get the equity because you now own that property. And so what own, uh, what guys coming into real estate will do, real estate, they're big assets, they take a lot of money, they'll go out and they'll syndicate, they'll go get funds, everybody will invest together to make that property, to own that property jointly. Right. So instead of investing, putting your money in stocks, you're putting it into a, a physical asset. Asset. Awesome. Very cool. So let's get into a little bit more about you yourself. So if you don't mind sharing a condition you went through, a hard time you had, um, yeah, happy to. How you how you overcame that? Yeah, happy to. So um, yeah, hard time. Uh, so okay, uh, you know I. Um, it was, it, was, it was a while ago, and it makes me very passionate about real estate. You talk about syndication and investing in things in the stock market. I'm very passionate about cash flow because um, cash flow saved my, my, my family's um, financial life. Um, right. The reason being uh, was it was uh, two and a half years ago, um, I became completely paralyzed from head to toe. So I was... Um, I, I got sick one day and um, I got paralyzed. I sat in the ER room. They couldn't figure out what was wrong with me. Um, and by the time that they did, the paralysis was going up. I was getting more and more paralyzed. Uh, before I knew it, I was losing my ability to breathe. They put me on tubes and they, uh, well, they put me into a coma and um, I woke up paralyzed from head to toe on um, life support, on breathing tubes. And um, we didn't know what was ever going to happen after that. We didn't know if I was going to you know, walk again or anything. I lost my job. 
I was running a, a large brokerage firm, which I was no longer obviously able to do. We didn't know even what was going to happen. I couldn't talk or communicate for 10 weeks. It's scary. Yeah, it, it, it was, you know, we just had a baby too, or fourth child. Oh, God. And um, so I was hospitalized for four months, and then I went home paralyzed um, and lied in my bed. Um, but I could, I was, I, but at that time though, I was able to use a wheelchair, get in. Um, I was extremely weak. I lost 70 pounds of muscle. Um, and, um, it's been slowly coming back. Um, I'm very blessed and fortunate to be where I am, but you know, this investing in, in real estate stuff, it, it's, it's, it's important and it, and it, and it makes a big, big difference. And it's probably the best thing we ever did. Um, it right. allowed my family time to heal. It allowed my wife to not have to leave the kids and go get a job because her now quadriplegic husband in the hospital lost his and doesn't know how she's going to pay the mortgage. Um, right. And it's, you know, it's provided now our family opportunities to go do amazing things. And we are part of a nonprofit that delivers uh, wheelchairs to people in third world countries that can't afford them. And awesome. um, yeah, and this is why I wanted to have you on the show. Cause I just, I know it's, it's heart for you. It's not money, so to speak. Yeah. And it, it shows in what you do. So we, you know, I greatly appreciate that during when all this was going on and you were in the hospital and you were, you were paralyzed. Did you have any facilities at that time that were bringing in cash flow for you or was it just your yeah, work? No, we'd, we'd had, um, I'd spent the previous four years accumulating facilities and actually, um, our management company, it was profitable running. We had, I think, um, nine at the time. So we were, it, you know, it, I was well paid in my job. Um, it's not like it's ever convenient time to lose your job, but no, not at it, all. But it was for, you know, I mean, all things considered, you know, it was, mm-hmm. you know, it was okay. We were fine. I lost you know, a lot of my income, but we it didn't need it. it. It was okay. We're fine. And we were fine better. In fact, if anything, because of that, it, it freed me up to go do other things and follow other passions and yeah. take more control over my life and take my life to the next level. So it's, it's weird to say, but I think I'm better than before. I, you know, I feel luckier and more blessed and I'm happier than I ever was before too. So. Right. And I, and obviously I haven't experienced anything like that, but I think it's those situations that really define who we are and, and define our future because if that never happened to you, you never lost your job. How long would you longer, would you have stayed at that job or maybe not expanded yeah. what you're doing and real estate alone, self storage alone protected your family, you know, your, your, your wife and how many kids do you have at the time after that? Uh, four, four kids because you lost your job, but because of the cash flow and, and the, the way you've educated yourself and the action you took earlier on, your family was safe. They could have went bankrupt. You could have lost your home. You, you just, and, and how does, a woman work a job with four kids, raising four kids alone, you know, and it's yeah, tough. A, so, a husband in a wheelchair at home that can't take care of himself. Right. A fifth I kid mean, basically or fifth yeah, or sixth kid. We might as well say at that point. Yeah. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah. I was, and it, I mean, she did, she, she'd have to come in and give me my meds. Cause I was under immense amount of pain, like mind boggling pain. Right. Oh, um, I'm sure. And so I was in, I had so much medication. I had, I had to be watched over, Carefully, I was very fortunate. My my brother um, moved in with us. He came to the hospital to stay, and he moved in with us, and he carried me around. But it, it's you know, it's hard enough for your kids to go through that. I didn't want my kids oh, to all of a sudden 
watch that and not and feel like now that they're not being taken care of because mom's at work and dad can't take care of them and have yeah. all their sense of security um, and normalcy pulled away from them because that happens. That's real life. That happens to kids and it has long lasting effect, effects on people. And so we tried to make our kids' lives as normal as possible as you can. Um, right. You know, they, it, we didn't want them to come in and see me for a while because we didn't know if I was going to die. So we, um, we had to get the situation under control because I just left one night. I just out of the blue. I came paralyzed. The kids were asleep. Wife took me to the hospital and then dad was gone for a month. Right. And, Where, where'd he um, go? You know? Yeah, exactly. What's going on? And dad's at the hospital. Oh. He's sick. And after a while it becomes, what do we do here? And so they had to bring the kids and see their dad and hooked up the tubes and machines. It's scary um, for them. Yeah. It's scary. And the last thing that we wanted was all of a sudden, and now two moms leaving you. So dad left yeah. you and now mom's leaving you and you know, you've got to go to somebody else to take care of you. Um, so, you know, it's not just what it did for me and not having to work. It, it is what it did for my family, my children and, and right. my wife. And, you know, and then after that, you know, I got out of the hospital and after four or five months, we just went and hung out in Hawaii for a while. That's beauty of real estate. And, you know, and right. we just went and I was in my wheelchair, but we're like, we need this. Let's go spend time elsewhere. And we just went and hung out in Hawaii and I could just sit there and then once again, didn't have to worry about where bills were coming from or anything else like that. I had time to heal, um, yeah. both, you know, physically, but also mentally and figure out what am I going to do? And I'm yeah. not a patient person and I like oh, moving. Yeah. I'm, I thrive on momentum. I work all the time, but, and, and I say that not in a bad way. I, I, I do what I love all the time. Yeah. You're and, passionate about you know, it. Yeah. I'm very it's easier passionate. for you. Exactly. I mean, so. you've got to be beyond busy because you have what two podcasts you're, you're working on educational, uh, uh, aspect yeah, yeah. of the business. Yep. Got um, the inner circle. Got then I have the, this business. I have a benefits business. We own a software company. We own 13 facilities, two products, and companies, <laughs> 13 facilities, 150 kids. Yep. So yeah, I've got I'm a few sure things going busy. on. I appreciate you taking the time out of your day to come on the show and uh, Happy to, know, man. just talk, talk to me, talk to the listeners. That's, that's great. Um, there's another segment. I'm going to go a different way. There isn't a weather I want yeah. to go. Um, but just you talking about your personal experience you had and how real estate saved you. I think that is so important that mindset where you have the money hungry people are who are just doing it for the money. They're greedy yep. and they also take advantage of people. And then you have the people who are doing it to provide for their family. And also they, they just want to relax and have some peace. I mean, I think everyone wants to relax at one point in time. Yes. But yeah. you're doing it about it the right way. That's why, um, you know, I'm younger and I'm getting set up now that way, you know, I'm getting married in the beginning of next year. I can spend yes. time with my, my fiance, you know, she's been yeah. amazing and put up with me so far for the amount of work I do. <laughs> um, but I want to be there for my kids, you know, when they grow up and yeah. I want to be, I want to go to their soccer games. I want to tuck them in at night. You know, I want to be there when they wake up and put them on the bus, you know, and I watched my father work so hard. He was a real estate agent, a phenomenal agent. I mean, the area he sells 40 to 50 homes a year. And that's a lot for this area. Yeah. Um, and growing up, he was always doing this, always doing that, you know, always doing the email. Yeah. And he was, he was putting in the work, but when did it end kind of thing? Yeah. And 
I don't want that to be me as in the aspect of when's it end. I want to know when it ends. And there's a, yeah. you, you control your own day. And I'm, I'm you sure know, you, and I, you, and I look at this too, and you, you hit it on the head is like, I don't mind working my brains out, but I, it's gotta be for me. It's right. gotta be for my kids. It's got, it's yeah. gotta have purpose. It's gotta and mean if, something. I, I, you know, and I did a really good job working for the other company. I made a millions, but at some point it starts to become, you're taking me away from my family and right, you're yeah. paying me, but my time has a higher value than I, you know what I mean? It's just not worth it. I would yeah, rather make way less work for me and work for something that my kids can have that can be yeah. generational. My kids want to, my kid, my, my kids want to come work, work with me, which so Learn for me, business, I, and I work with over. my dad, my dad's my partner. So I get to spend, we spend time, you know, they come on trips. They're always in the office with me. It's, it's family oriented. For me, that's what it's all about. That's, yeah. you know, when I go to work and I put in the hours, I know that I'm building something for me and other people. And right. it's, um, it's, it's satisfying. It's not getting pissed down the drain essentially. And, no. and there's something to say again, you know, about working 50, 60 hours a week for someone else. And it's barely making enough for you. And I know because I've, I've been at that point, I'm kind of at that point right now where I'm putting in the 50, 60 hours a week and it's just not enough, you know? Yeah. And then you ask yourself, when is it enough until um, you're burned out? And yeah. so it, it, it makes a lot for it. Uh, let's get into the education standpoint of things. So first yeah. off, let's start off with uh, you, your favorite book or some books you like to read or some books you have suggestions on. It doesn't have to be about self-storage. It can be a little bit about mindset, real estate, and then we can get into self-storage education. Perfect. So I think the best real estate books have nothing to do with real estate. So um, I think if you are really wanting to learn about real estate, you need to study Warren Buffett um, because Warren Buffett focuses on valuation. And that's what real estate really is. It's valuation. And it's understanding the economic drivers of the valuation and how to underwrite it as a value add or as a good long lasting investment. Um, So the Warren Buffett way is a great one on how he builds um, an empire on these principles. Right. Um, And I, I just, yeah, I'm a very, very big believer. And the, um, what is it? The um, Chronicles, hold on, let me see. I think I've got it right here. I actually give this to the people that I circle the essays on Warren Buffett. Um, you can actually, it's just all his words and it's chronological or subject based, not chronological. And it's, they put it all into subjects so I can go into it and I look up capital allocation and I can study capital allocation from his words. Really? Yeah. It's really good. Um, I love it. Uh, the next book that, um, is I'm very, very fond of is, uh, the obstacle is the way. Um, and, uh, um, for those of you that, um, you know, well, I'm going to say the obstacle is the way and ego is the enemy. They're Ryan holidays, the author of both. Right, um, they go hand in hand. They go hand in hand. Um, and I think the obstacle is the way is a great book to understand what makes us and what makes success. And then the ego is the enemy is the perfect thing to understand why you don't have it or why you're going to lose it. And, uh, um, it's, they're timeless. And it's those things that will really drive success in no matter what you're doing at home. Right. State it's or, principles. It's principles exactly. behind it. Awesome. Okay. Now, are there any, 
any places or material or books you read for self storage as far as to educate yourself. I know it's it's very slim out there as far as what educational tools are out there for self storage. It is. And you know, there's some people out there that um teach it, but I I usually have a problem. I don't like gurus much because um it's usually a guru guru that you pay five thousand dollars. Then they upsell you into a hundred thousand dollar ticket package, yeah. Package. Um, and that's kind of what the self storage teaching people do. I, I, and I do not like that. I, I have major right. problems with that. The information's out there. It's free. Um, I, I usually to understand self-storage better, I use principles of networking and I go straight to the self-storage um, owners. Um, we're all happy to help and talk and we're a part of store local, which is a combination. Now there is what it, what's it worth is the name of the book and it's on self-storage. And they do a fabulous job on going over storage completely. And it, it's, it, it's everything. You need. It's, let me put it this way. If you read that book and study that book, you're going to get more out of it than when you pay your $5,000 course to be upsold. Right. To, to hear some guy go like this yeah. all day. And um, won't tell you anything that's even in the book. How old is that material? What's it worth, the, the book in self-storage? I mean, do you know when it was written? Yeah, a couple years. I think. Okay. The, the reason why I ask is because I always look, whenever I look for books, I look, you know, at ratings, reviews, yes. and, and years it's made because there's a lot of self-storage material out there from the early 2000s. Which is, it just doesn't it's apply anymore. Useless. It's, it's useless. Right. 100%. Absolutely. I found three books about Yay Thin that um, were written within three years and it's just yeah. scattered material. It's very tough. I'm um, writing a book a, right now, so I'll, I'll help you out on that. But that's why yeah, I do, do my podcast, Self-Storage Income. We have the podcast, we have the blog, and then for like the educational stuff too, we have our inner circle, which is just to help people get storage facilities, right? To work hand in hand yeah. and disperse. But like I said, all the information, I I always believe you give it out for free, everything. Yeah. Right? yeah. And so stuff that's- Stuff like this. Exactly. And so we use that in the podcast, Self-Storage Income. It's I, the last one we just launched yesterday was the playbook to getting into self-storage and making it work. And it was just like, listen, here's what to do. You go right. find, you know, $600,000 facility and we just walk straight through it. And um, I think Where'd that's Where'd you release this on more. just so people know? Um, it's on, I think, everything. I think it's on iTunes or um, the, on, on Stitcher. I think it's on SoundCloud. Um, okay. but you can find it in the podcast app on iTunes. You go in. It's up on MySpace, right? Yeah, exactly. It's on yeah, MySpace. Yeah. Okay. Nice. Cool. Okay. <laughs> I, I see the online with the three little dashes. It's like, oh, there's it. There's a. <laughs> and, um, so you can like Instagram. I put, put the projects on you know, self-storage income on Instagram or AJ Osborne on Instagram. I, I put what we're doing, why we're doing it, how we're doing it up there. Awesome. Do you, now, do you have a personal mentor or anyone that you kind of go to to seek advice in the self-storage facility? Or I'm sure that's probably tough and you, you don't. Um, you know, I had a, um, we did have some that we went into and we had a couple that we work close with. And I think it's important. It's important to do because mm -hmm. you need the knowledge. And two, one of the things with, you know, blanket knowledge, which is, is really hard. And this is why, this is why too, we started the, the inner circle was because if you're trying to actually do it, you need very specific knowledge. So every deal is different, right? We can talk about the fundamentals of self-storage. We can talk about the economic drivers. We can talk about all this stuff. But once you get a deal, 
the value proposition, the risks, the opportunities, stuff like that, it may be all over the board, right? And then how do you operate it? All those kind of things. You need yeah. somebody. And then two, to give you the confidence to pull the trigger. And we did that. We would use somebody that we would go to. Um, you know, we don't do it as much anymore. It's more just networking with people because um, we are one of the larger operators now. But um, it's not that we don't have something we don't know. I mean, I partner with people. We work with people um, all the time to get information and to learn more. Good. Awesome. Well, I think we're going to about wrap things up. Uh, thank you so much for being on the first show. Uh, we will definitely have you back on because you, you were you were just filled with knowledge that I just want to dissect out of you. I wish you lived closer. Um, and, you know, maybe one day we can do a deal together over on this and get you out on the uh, East Coast great, way of man. things. Um, where to. can people uh, find out more about you, more about your podcast, uh, contact you, um, and a little bit more about the course or the inner circle that you're beginning to Okay. Yeah. So like you said, any information that we give is a hundred percent free. It's we, we, I, um, I love this industry. I, um, and I, we talk about it on the self-storage income podcast. We have our site, um, self-storage income and, uh, um, and, uh, you can go there, email me from that. Um, and you can go to AJ Osborne, Instagram, message me, um, I reply directly, happy to. Uh, that's how we calls. got in contact. Yep, exactly, exactly. And so I, I, I'm happy to do that. We give all our information out for free. The inner circle is you do pay to get into the inner circle, but that's because I have to work. Um, right. So if you're if you want me to actually, and you've got a team behind that, exactly. And then that's how that's how that works. And it's too, it's that's for me. That's so I can get in and I can work with others that are like-minded and I can get deal flow and I'm trying to get better too. I mean, right. I'm using it as um, a way to improve and crush my goals. So, um, but all the information in the world on self-storage, the playbooks, any way to do it, I give that out everything for free. It's, you, you, you should know about it. And um, I, I do not like paying the gurus for it. Thanks for listening. We hope you took something away from today's episode. For more information, you can find us on Instagram at Dante Belmonte. See you next time.